Thank you for tuning into Radio Never Apart. I'm your host, Jordan King. back returning listeners and if you're listening for the first time welcome and thank you for tuning in radio never apart is an interview feature started at the beginning of 2020 which launches monthly as part of the never apart online magazine and has featured some incredible people in various aspects of nightlife and nightlife culture across north america this has included performers djs drag performers promoters and so many more In this episode, I'm speaking with Preston Buffalo. Preston is a Vancouver-based, mixed-media, multidisciplinary artist. He currently has a solo show on display in one of the main floor galleries at Never Apart. Preston and I have been in each other's lives since we were in high school, which we reminisce about in this interview. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Preston Buffalo. Hi. This is one that is long overdue, you and I uh, sitting down to rehash our arrival in the big city. Uh, So on Radio Never Apart, uh, the focus is on nightlife history and also involvement in nightlife history as a way to create a sense of identity. You and I have known each other for a very long time. Two decades. Over two decades. Well, a little bit over two decades. (laughs) And full disclosure, we did move to the big city together as teenagers. I got a job and I was like, I'm moving over. And then you just grab those coattails and would let go. (laughs) I'll accept that. Let's uh, let's tap back even a little bit prior to that, though, because um, when you and I first met, you were probably the most creatively expressive person that I had ever encountered in my life. I was so in awe of everything that you were doing, and I was still in high school. You were barely out of high school. Can yeah, you? I think just graduated my hairdressing program. Can you talk a little bit about some of your creative, expressive outlets when you were still in high school? Well, definitely like the the art room. Was a one place, yeah, where I, I basically took over. My grade twelve year was like a, I think like four art classes in English and French and some spares. So I had a lot of time to work on stuff in there, take over that room, and I would uh, just work on like everything. Like I would work on like outfits for for raves and like call them art projects. And d- did you ever think about going to art school? I mean, you you came out of high school I and did. went directly into hairdressing I did school, but well, when I was like, I did a Emily Carr, I did a portfolio day where they review your portfolio, pre preview your portfolio, and approve it when you do apply. And so I did that, and and I was accepted both times. You were accepted to Emily Carr. Well, the, my portfolio was approved, so that I, that part was the, the process. I wouldn't have to f- felt like it um... when I did the application. Interesting. But I was just like thinking about what I, what I showed. Now I'm like, wow, oh, like that was raw, naive. Like I don't want to say the talent, but it was just raw, naive talent. Like I, I, I showed a cardboard box of my photos. Like it huh. was just like the presentation was just like not, there was no I told you portfolio book or like anything like that. It was like an old Kodak eight by ten box of photos. Wow. And like and like other pictures and then other things that I'd done. And, like, they loved it. Something different than they had seen all day, too. But you ultimately decided to go into hairdressing first and went into a pretty intense program directly out of 
high school. Like the the program you went through was a lot of like the really classical hairdressing type stuff. It was stuff they don't teach the kids anymore. We, we, we were in that class actually. They, they they had talked about like they're like you know in fifteen years because we all practice on the old ladies. They're like these old ladies won't be here anymore. What are the kids gonna learn? How, how are they gonna learn these styles? And I'm like you're right. And that fifteen years was fifteen years ago. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, correctly, many of those little ladies that were going for the the sets, the wet Marsh sets set. and stuff like that, yeah, the Marcel Wave sets and stuff, they yeah, they may not be alive anymore. No. Well, let's um let's talk a little bit about the rave scene as well cuz that that's even sort of pre, you know, entering into like nightlife in a big city, but you were extremely right. involved in that rave scene on Vancouver Island. You were sometimes known for going to raves in drag. And like I didn't even think about it as drag really. Can you say more about that? Like, what was this, what what, what did well, you? It's kind of like like it, it was like like uh, elevating my look. Mm-hmm. But I didn't ever I didn't ever think like I'm a I'm gonna look like a woman. <laughs> but I was like, girl clothes are cooler than guy clothes. Yeah, I mean, and you. I mean, but I guess two combined together make look drag look. But I didn't ever. It wasn't my intention. And and it was just it was so expressive and colorful. Uh, I mean, you were sort of a. You were creation unto yourself. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I would see things like, like the time I was like referencing like a lot of like Warhol, like the 60s looks and like um, getting my like uh, club magazines from England and Germany and seeing like what they were doing over there. And this would have been like 1997. Yeah, because I mean, really, too, it's always like important to kind of cast our mind back to the fact that there was no universal database that you could just type a search term into you really had to be pretty industrious and uh, and crafty to to look, find some of the stuff and like the club kids of course which we were a few years too late but <laughs> but <laughs> we were part of the part of the world absolutely we were pretty we were pretty fascinated by it and i also like i've told a few people about just how um like we were we were quite sort of I don't know. We just we had some interesting re- reference points. Um, you know, I think that we both maybe presented to each other or inspired one another with like their yeah. the movie Shampoo Horns, which when I've told people about it, they are like, what? They've never even heard of it. And I think it aired on Bravo. It was like a late night on a Friday night, you know, midnight. Showcase, at- the showcase, the Drambiwi Showcase Review. <laughs> OK, was that what it was called? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So we were. Um, yeah. And and so we had what we thought is modernity to our looks, compared to like what was going on around us. And um, and and so let's talk about the the like move to the big city. You moved to Vancouver at the age of eighteen or nineteen. We slept on a pile of fur coats and jackets. <laughs> <laughs> the first like week, I think. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> No, I moved here for, to become a hairdresser and be an apprentice at one of the top salons in Vancouver at the time. And I just dove right into it. Because I didn't go to art school, I still had a creative outlet that way. And within a matter of, like, months, I would say, like, I think even within your first year, you were entering into competitions like the mm-hmm. Color Trophy competitions contessas. and, and contessas and, and, you know, like these, these hairdressing competitions that most people wouldn't, I don't think, enter into in their first, like, year or two of being a hairstylist and that's again that's that like naivety that they like not even knowing that like it's not done to that young whatever and like i got some really early success in a lot of these things and like i shaped my, my ego for a while there too mm, yeah fair enough 
No, I mean, these competitions were somewhere where we could, like, explore new looks and, like, you know, it's just another place to try to a club look, really. For but sure. Those, those shoots they usually got what we had already done yeah. ourselves. And again, it was just this fearlessness. I mean, you truly had an, a desire to experiment and to create and to craft that uh, that was just so unparalleled. Mm, it's, I think it's hungry for hungry for, for more, hungry for new things, hungry for new ways of doing things. And so can you talk a little bit about your memories of, of involvement in nightlife during that initial period of, of being in the big city? Yeah. Um, well, I think some, one of us was underage, I believe. <laughs> Both were at first. That's right. We used to go to the after hours because that was an, at least they we knew they wouldn't ID us. Yeah, going to the world on Granville Street in our towering platform boots and sitting on a bathroom counter for six hours for two years straight. <laughs> That's such a it's such a poetic way of putting it, but it's actually very accurate. And I remember, like, I you know I have my own memory, and it's and it, you know I don't want to necessarily try to over influence I guess in a sense um, by describing too much of sort of how I remember things but I will say that like we were conscious of Vancouver nightlife as being you know something that was happening prior to moving to Vancouver so I think when we got there we sort of just got the tail end of it. And people, yeah because lots of people were like oh I don't go out anymore like lots of the old queens that we had seen pictures of and like yeah, and they talked. They talked about how much it was sort of quieter, how much things had changed. But we also still like we really just kind of attacked it, right? Like we just immediately started yeah. going out, and I, I decided to like. I was like, you know, I want to get these these little cards printed with our pictures on them, and a word on the back, and just <laughs> just just drop them places and hand them out. And see, we'll see what happens. It was not knowing that that was like um, a marketing campaign that we were doing. I like, know. Not knowingly. It... <laughs> It was sort of like this viral marketing campaign. Everywhere. <laughs> but we weren't necessarily clear about what it was we hoped. We didn't have a desired outcome, per no. se. We were just sort of like... People would be like, what, what is this? What are you guys? We're like, we don't know. We're just doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the other things about that whole process that I feel like we should share that people might be curious to learn about is that to get those photos because yes. we didn't necessarily have access to like a professional camera or to a studio to shoot them in but there was a there was a certain aesthetic that we were going for and i'm pretty sure this was your idea i wouldn't try to take credit for this the four strip photo booth at the uh, local greyhound station <laughs> we get ready and then jump in a taxi and then get the taxi and drive us to the train station and then go to our poppers, our loonies and toonies, and get the get the shots. Because I remember the lighting was perfect. It was like it just it blasted you out in the right places. There was no Photoshop we need on those photo pictures. <laughs> well, I don't even think Photoshop existed yet. Even even re-describing this, revisiting this, puts such a huge smile on my face to think that we traipsed into the Greyhound bus terminal on like yeah. a Tuesday evening to do our self-portraits. That naivety, that no fears. Like, wow, yeah. I don't know if I, uh, I don't know if kids do that now. Maybe they do. I just don't think that they really need to. It's, it's just not the same sort of level of, um, of I don't know, risk in a way. So, do you have memories of, of sort of wanting to be involved in nightlife as a, as like an organizer or as a performer or in that capacity? Not really. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, I, I wanted to be a part of it, but I didn't want to like. I wanted to attend the parties, not not really like not necessarily organize them. That was I left. We left that up to you. Remember? 
<laughs> well, and I did another podcast interview for someone else's podcast recently. And in in describing it back, and I'm really curious to hear your memories of this, um, you know, the, the person interviewing me said, well, it sounds like you were sort of the ringleader. And I, and I pushed back almost a little bit to say like, well, I, I saw myself as more of, you know, maybe somebody that was doing some of the organizing of it. But I definitely had... I had a certain amount of drive to try to, you know, put things together and to make yeah. events happen and stuff like but that. I don't necessarily think that you were like the mother of the house, you know, like. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't necessarily, you know, want to be in charge per se. No. I just really wanted to, you know, to still right. bring together lots of incredible people and creative people. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. I agree with that. From the outside in, you would have looked like the ringleader for sure. And I would have been your little, your little bitchy friend that didn't say anything. <laughs> I got the shadows in the corner. But it looks really cool. Well, and that's just it, because when we then had an opportunity to throw our own party in 2001, we, so we'd been in Vancouver for a couple of years at that point, um, like, I don't really have concrete memories of how it was exactly that we made some of the decisions we did, but I look back at those posters and some of the art direction and just some of the ideas that we were playing with at our weekly event because we were throwing a weekly party, which just seems crazy to me. But um, But they were pretty incredible. Well, even in it, like those posters were like cut and paste, like ransom notes. Like they were like. Yeah, I was there at the local Kinkos at ten o'clock at night with a glue stick. <laughs> it's like now those kids they can do this shit from home. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your evolution of your nightlife persona because you did also have we we each had sort of like a sort of a drag persona. I mean, we weren't necessarily drag queens i think we really push back against being too affiliated yeah. with like sort of the you know feather boa and tiara drag yes but we were like the, drag the totally <laughs> the set. but we had sort of drag personas and your looks were truly so so incredible and so I, dynamic oh my gosh i mean i loved a black cat suit as a base for sure um, I love like the silvers, like anything silver and like embroidery looking like from the 60s. Brocade, what do we call that, or jacquard. Yes, of course. Oh my gosh. Some of this texture description is like taking me back to some of the stuff that you used to have back then. It, that stuff that's really itchy. You know? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I can snag on tights. Right. Of course. And like pair them with some big waffle stompers, some eight inch thick <laughs> waffle stomper boots. <laughs> Matching boot coverings, always, always, always. <laughs> and uh, do you have any memories of sort of like how some of these looks came together? Like what was involved? Long in- Valley Villaging and then building from there for me. And I would never, I would never go out there like thinking like, what? I want, I want this look. The, 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 the clothes would speak to me. The rack would speak to me. And we knew all of the, all the best Valley Villages to, to go to because the best ones were always really far outside the city. Let's talk a little bit about, I guess, sort of the evolution, though, because you you did carry on. And, and I mean, there's so many amazing looks we could talk about uh, that that I have memories of you wearing and, and especially with with wigs and stuff like that. I mean, just because you were a hairstylist, it's like you did such oh, yeah. incredible things it'd with be like Saturday. It'd be Saturday afternoon salon and I'd be like, Shane, give me a style. And so he would like whip up some like crazy with a ten dollar wig i might add i had some pretty amazing skills working on my head yeah i also think too you were like a pioneer of like sewing two wigs together or layering two and three wigs together even even know 
that's that was we were like that's not we're gonna do this what's so like it was like problem solution yeah like, and then we, and then we figured oh wow this is actually a thing you continue to have that as an expressive outlet even though at a certain point it was less about like going out to a club i mean there just wasn't really as much stuff going on that we were necessarily as involved with but it sort of evolved into doing some of your own photo shoots at home well it got to a certain point when like the glamour of the nightlife had lost its cachet and i didn't wasn't going out but i still had looks and outfits that i wanted to, to showcase and like and so i was just like do these like impromptu tableaus and set them up in my apartments and then photograph them and that's kind of also around the time that you started learning how to use photoshop if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was actually. I was on a medical leave from work and uh, had nothing else to do. Some of that stuff was so incredible from that time period. I just remember seeing like all the different images that you were starting to put together and really seeing that you were that you were onto something, that it was something that you were sticking with. It's funny because like, the, the intention wasn't to make art, but it came out like that. I think yeah. you were the first person that ever told me about Instagram and you were like a very early adopter of Instagram and of posting some of these photos to Instagram mm-hmm. in a way that people weren't really doing at the time. And I think about it now and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you were like 10 years ahead of the curve, essentially. And you'd also always had a hand in photography, not necessarily formally in terms of like a studio practice, but you had done some of the darkroom education I mean, I, in I high always, school, right? I always wanted to document everything. Like I have like a suitcase full of it's it's the bane in my existence really the suitcase that has to move with me every time it's so heavy with photos and polaroids thousands of dollars worth of polaroids really yeah can you talk about the evolution then from that period where then it started to become a little bit about pursuing art as as a sort of new chapter a new path for you i mean i was of course working my craft through hair and, and getting my artistic fix that way but when I went on that leave from work there, I just, it was a summertime and I just limited funds and lots of raw materials around me. And I just started like making things. I don't know. It got to a point where one day I was like, am I making garbage out of garbage? And then I started posting it on the internet and Instagram and people started liking it and made me realize it wasn't garbage out of garbage. And then maybe there was something there. Early on, I was um, approached by Michael Venus to do a show, a group show and never parked. And I was like, okay, that's the validation I was looking for. That's telling me that, that, that I'm on the right path. I'm doing things that resonate with people. Yeah. I should keep going. It's so incredible to think back to that because you weren't even in art school yet at that point. No, but I had a, had a goal. It was like six months. I'm going to work on my portfolio and I'm apply. Huh. And then I just, you know, I just did it six months. I had like 24 pieces in my portfolio. I didn't even think about what if I don't get in? Like it just like it didn't even like once I got, I've got my acceptance letter and then I was like, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't have a backup plan. Like, I didn't, I didn't think about what if I don't get in. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly say that my memories of that time period, and, and because we have stayed close friends for over 20 years, was that I just didn't see how it couldn't happen either. I mean, it was a non-traditional path that you'd been on because mm. you hadn't necessarily come straight out of art school or been engaged in a formal art practice, but everything you were doing, basically, everything you touched was was art essentially was you know made better made more creative more dynamic more interesting uh so this mm-hmm. was it was so natural it was just such a natural next step yeah you know I've, I'm always, i always dive hard into a technique and um and i guess when you think about sort of nightlife and your involvement in nightlife during those first years in vancouver are there ways that you feel it influenced your creative process yeah i mean like like as i was saying before with um 
like the photo shoots there, like we would try out the looks on ourselves before we tried them out on the, on the shoots there, the girls. Yeah. And so that was like a good testing ground for that. I liked how we were kind of like, we were on the periphery, but we were, you know, at first they were a little bit like, who are they? What are they? What are they? <laughs> but like, gradually they, they accepted us. And not directly into the fold. But. Yeah, we always sort of had our own thing going on. I just, I don't necessarily know if either of us were, were particularly interested in in mainstream no. acceptance <laughs> or even necessarily appealing to to sort of a mainstream audience like we were comfortable being mm-hmm. being a little bit on the outside my looks varied from like totally full cat suit gloves everything into like that one outfit that I had with my little cannon fired outfit with my nipple hanging out right of course oh my gosh lots, lots of skin I would never do that today well I don't have to, I have don't have the smooth body for it anymore. We have. <laughs> yeah, lots of things have have changed and continue to change about our bodies as we move forward. But it's all good. Is there anything that you would be curious to sort of get your hands onto in a in a sort of I guess tactile way, uh, if it were a costume or wigs or hair or anything like that? Now, is there anything like that that sort of interests you or like a reimagining or? When I started coloring those wigs. Actually, like the the red and blonde one, the black and black and blonde ones. Yeah. And like when I did Ruth's hair that time, and I did it in those those geometric singles. Right. Like that I would love to recreate. Hmm. Like that, I don't know where that came from, but that was like it was it was good. Is there anything else that you remember from that period that you want to talk about, and as it relates to your art practice now? No, it's so different now than like what I was doing back then. Like it's mm. evolved. It's just like something new. Like there's been a couple of times where I'm like, well, I'll try making a little tableau, but I'm like, I just don't have the tickle trunk for it anymore. Fair enough. So I'll see lots of like some outfits on on Wish or something. I'm like that would look really cool. I'm like, meh. <laughs> you arrive in three months. No, I still do sometimes. Like I, I just ordered this and I don't know why, but I just got it. It's a baby blue leather um, leather S and M hood with like a full on like eye coverings and everything. But it's baby blue. It's really cute. Amazing. And I'm like, where am I gonna wear this? Who knows? And do you um do you think that you would ever do some of the self portraiture type stuff that you used to do? Oh yeah, yes, definitely. I'm actually um. I just bought 200 pieces of four by five film. Wow, amazing. So, and I have the light and the rivers. I'm still gonna start doing some snapshots myself with the four by five camera. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the kind of stuff that sort of harkens back to what we were doing then, which was a lot about self-expression and identity exploration. That, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's much more common place now i think because of instagram you can put it out there and people will be able to engage with it and see it almost immediately um but um but i just also think it's a really dynamic way still to um just to kind of explore and to create and well it's a lot easier to try something out on yourself yeah yeah absolutely and you just trying to get started yeah well this has been such a treat preston i have honestly wanted to have you on the podcast since I very first started doing it. Uh, so this has been just a joy and I want to thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure too. And where can people find you out there in the, out there in the internet world? Um, well, um, my website is uh, PrestonBuffalo.com. Um, Instagram, Facebook and all that is uh, Preston Buffalo. I'm not really on Twitter, but uh, yeah, Facebook and um, Instagram pretty much and my website. 
Yeah, your website is, is super comprehensive now with basically what you're working on and, and what's all available and stuff out there. And also on behalf of Never Apart, I want to say a massive thank you. This show for the spring season has been so incredible and so well received. And I'm so excited for people to check it out either in person if they're in Montreal or online via the virtual tour. So a heartfelt thank you from me. It's been such a joy to work with you on it as well. No, it's been a great, it's a great opportunity. And thank you so much for that. You and Michael too. Dax, the whole Never Part team. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Preston and that this has sparked an interest to see Preston's work. His exhibition, titled Digitizing Indigeneity, is on view until June 26, 2021, and can be experienced on the Never Apart website by clicking the Exhibitions tab. For details, check out any of our social channels or our website, neverapart.com, which also has access to all the exhibitions as 360-degree virtual tours. So wherever you may be listening from, you can see some really incredible art and learn about the extremely talented artists we are showing. Click on the Exhibitions tab at the top of the page to see what is currently on display. Be sure to subscribe, leave a comment or review on whichever platform you're listening through. And you can find me on Instagram at Jordan King Archive. Mm-hmm.